0: Welcome to the Bench Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha. And joining me as always, fresh from the Academy of Unseen Arts, it's Romeo Mora. Romeo, how's school?
1: Great. Me and the Weir Sisters, we we're just doing the Dark Lord's bidding. Praise Satan.
0: Well, the reason we're praising Satan today is because we're going to be talking about The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is an American supernatural horror streaming television series developed by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa for Netflix based on the Archie comic book series of the same name. It ran from 2018 to 2020. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina was set in the fictional town of Greendale, where Sabrina Spellman, portrayed by Karen Shipka, must reconcile her dual nature as a half witch, half mortal while fighting the evil forces that threaten her. Her family and the daylight world humans inhabit. The series also stars Ross Lynch, Lucy Davis, Chance Perdomo, Michelle Gomez, Jasmine Clare, Taddy Gabriel, Lachlan Watson, Gavin Leatherwood, Richard Coyle, and Miranda Otto. Joining us to talk about the Chilling adventures of Sabrina, returning once again is Laura. Laura, how's it going?
2: Oh, it's going well. I even, this is a podcast, no one can see me, but I did wear my Spellman Mortuary shirt for this <laughs> because whenever possible,
0: I always go theme. That's a good thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it like puts you in the headspace of feeling more prepared. It's like it's like watching a sporting event. You know, you want to dress up for the sporting event. That way you feel more in the moment. You know,
2: this is my jersey, basically.
0: So this is during our Halloween time of year, our Halloween special that me and Romeo have put together for the next month and a half. And I don't remember Romeo. Was it your idea to do this show or was it Laura? Okay, so Romeo wanted to do Chilling Adventures and then Laura wanted to jump on. So how did that come about?
2: I think one thing is Romeo just knows I'm a huge fan of this show and was so excited when I heard that they were going to be redoing Sabrina, but in a dark way instead of the campy way that I grew up with, with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Between that and offering my soul to the Dark Lord in order to do this, that's how this all came about.
1: Right. (laughs) I don't know, like for you, Laura, I was hooked with that first prim of her in the hallway. Something Mm -hmm. subversive about this show that during that time period just spoke to me did it speak to you too
2: oh 100 i mean my memories of watching this it was like the same time my sister was getting married i was the maid of honor so i was busy but i i legitimately have memories of binging this first season in between doing things for the wedding so like i was in the hotel room on my phone watching episodes and then like going to a you know a rehearsal dinner kind of thing but i think And this might be jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit, but in terms of like, this is an extremely pro feminist. And just people who are marginalized in society kind of show where it wants to uplift you. The other is good in this show. And I think when I watched it, it makes you just want to go out and kick ass. It's just hard not to. And just the whole overarching nature of the show, that just really grabs you. And the thing is, is like, I like shows that are dark, but I don't necessarily like shows that just set out to be gory or to Scare me. Like, uh-huh. I like things, like you said, that are a little bit like subversive and a little bit like menacing and evil, but not necessarily just for the pure shock value. I didn't want something that was just like off the walls, bonkers, gory, scary uh-huh. for this. There's a ridiculous amount of cannibalism in that show. Oh, I know. I'm with Sabrina, where she's like, What is it with witches and cannibalism? Like, I'm like, okay, this is a lot. There's a lot of eating people in the show, but there are parts that are gross, but it doesn't seem, it's not the whole thing. It's not like American Horror Story, I guess.
0: What did you think about the pilot?
2: I liked it. There was definitely some really great moments, but I would say I was more sold by the end of episode two, The Dark Baptism. Because I feel like uh-huh. you get set up for that in the first one. That's what I was really looking forward to. But I love all the introductions of the characters. Um, They feel very real after that first episode. I love the aunties. That's who, you know, when you're going into this, if you watched the 90s show, you know, yes. you're looking for Zelda and Hilda. And then you're like, okay, this is not the Zelda and Hilda I know, but I'm here for it. And then Ambrose, instant love. And the Weird Sisters, really introducing that more menacing, weird magic is very memorable. And... Harvey's an idiot. That's course. That's <laughs> canon. Like yeah. Harvey is
1: a himbo in every incarnation of the show. Even an alternate Greendale, he's like a himbo. plus his simple soul because we love a good himbo on a fantasy show.
2: They definitely serve a purpose. But I remember thinking, is she going to be with I Love Harvey this whole arc? Because I'm going to get bored of that really quickly. I, but I think that was the original intent. Then we met Nicholas
1: Gratt. We have options. Yay. <laughs> they made no qualms about saying, hey, we like the Buffy formula. We're going to follow that Buffy formula, which I'm down with. Like, Even down to Madame Satan.
2: Her entrance is also pretty epic.
1: It was amazing and I loved it. I love how they intentionally just said, yeah, you know that funny sitcom with Melissa Joan Hart? It's not it. In fact, they brought the original actors for the promos just to get the reactions of the pilot, which
2: was amazing. What's great about that first episode, especially when you have that original show and the original movie in your head, is this is not a character. Sabrina's not a character who is like, oh, I'm different and it sucks. It's I'm a witch and this is kind of awesome and I'm not scared of my witchcraft. I'm going to use my witchcraft. The thing that sucks is the fact that I have to abide by these seemingly arbitrary rules about what straddling these two worlds means for me. And if possible, I'm not going to follow these rules, whereas the original Sabrina the Teenage Witch, it kind of seemed like, poor me, I'm a witch, and that makes me different, and that kind of sucks.
1: Like, I will say this is more of a Gen Z show than I say a millennial show in the sense that it's all about acceptance. And you see it with the character of Theo and the transformation that he went through from going from Susie to Theo and the automatic acceptance. If that character were to exist on the sitcom, there would be many very special episodes on mm-hmm. the original sitcom where we have to learn a, a lesson about acceptance. Yeah. Where here it's like... Oh, Okay, cool. You want to go by Theo? Let's move on. Next thing, we're battling the Knights of Hell. Glad you're here, Theo.
2: Yeah, I think this is the show that millennials deserved and probably needed. But this is the generation that was ready to write it.
0: Let's get into uh, some of these main characters here. So let's start out with Sabrina, played by Kiernan Shipka. Kiernan Uh Shipka was born to be this version of Sabrina Spellman. I don't think there's any argument there.
2: None for me. It's just so funny to think, you know, know, watching her grow up through acting on Mad Men, which I love. And then, you know, seeing her in this and I'm just like, you're like ridiculously talented. And I'm kind of intimidated by that.
0: Mad Men got lucky because she grew up to be a pretty good, serious actor, you know, someone who was actually not just some throwaway kid actor, right. because as we know, her little brother with that actor was thrown away a few times over. <laughs> to
1: yeah, or Bobby Draper.
0: But with her, it's like, we got to keep her because she has some genuine talent. Yeah, Mad top. Men's over. It's just the perfect storm. It's like, we're going to do Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. We need to find the right Sabrina. And lo and behold, here she is, Kiernan Shipka. It's just crazy to me because I genuinely believe if you cast anyone else in this role, the show is getting canceled fast. I personally believe she carries the series. In terms of all the actors around her age, she's head and shoulders better than all of them. Granted, they write the character in a way where you're kind of forced to follow her. I'm not trying to bag on the series too much, but I just think that everyone else is so poorly written in comparison to Sabrina. Like everything is done for the sake of Sabrina maybe just a little too overwhelming. I kind of wish they spent more time with other characters, giving them better arcs than what they actually gave them.
2: I understand what you're saying. I don't completely disagree. One thing we have to remember is that Sabrina is the young, I mean, like, at least within the witch world, which is a lot of the characters that we end up seeing. You know, we only get like a small handful of people from Baxter High. But in terms of like her aunties or Ambrose, Sabrina is the youngest girl in the coven. All of these other people are like hundreds of years old. So I think the concept is more she's young in her story and all of these people's stories a lot of it's already happened. So and we get pieces of that throughout the show like with Ambrose blowing up the Vatican or trying to. Right. And a little bit of the you know what it was like for Zelda and and Hilda growing up at the Academy and also kind of living in their brother's shadow. Even a little bit of Nick's backstory. Yes it would have been nice to have them have some of their own stuff but this is her coming of age story it's right. not everybody else's
1: but then again I would push back to like I mean we got a fair amount of like prudence and the weird sisters in the terms of her coming to realize that she's not this disposable person because she was not born a man like she is the daughter along with Dork it's also insane with the both Dorcas and Agatha were the illegitimate daughters of Father Blackwood and they right. were disposed of and put into the dark anime sort of orphans because they were not male.
2: You know, you do get like a story arc for Roz. I think she's also a pretty strong character. But again, it's not her adventures. It's Sabrina's adventures. And we got quite a fair
1: amount of backstory and stuff with uh, Madam Satan. And I'm okay if Harvey doesn't get the spotlight. But I will say this about just Sabrina. And I think it's not like the problem I think people have with her character. I don't know if you agree about this too. Many people pointed out in articles I read reviewing particularly in season three where Sabrina does all this crap she breaks time and space at one point and even I felt like in season three she had very little character development in terms of responsibility but though I feel like in part four she come around to it which is weird to understand because technically there's only two seasons these broke it up into parts and people treat each part as its own individual season it's really not it is so Confusing. Even the Christmas special part of season one. It was an actual episode. But I do love the part where I think it was Anne Hilda that says that Sabrina's essentially racking up a cosmic debt that mm-hmm. she can never pay off. Those little lessons I felt were kind of missing throughout the series for Sabrina. Because I kind of see the legitimate argument that she never really
0: faces too many
1: consequences oh, with her she does. until season four. <laughs> but I- even
2: and then it's kind of too late. I don't know. why. Do you, How do you feel about that, Laura? Romeo, about
0: that? I completely agree. But go ahead, Laura.
2: <laughs> I, read the whole, I read the whole thing as a giant metaphor. And I think season four is the reckoning. This uh-huh. is the debt coming to get paid. And then she goes to the world's smallest art gallery of heaven. You mean the good place? <laughs> yeah. I was just like, cool. <laughs> heaven is three giant works of art and a bench. Yeah, uh, that's not the good place. I take that back. And apparently in heaven, you have to wear khakis and cream colored clothing and polo shirts. Like, for example, season three. Season three is about what happens when you are coming of age as a young woman and you have to find balance in your life between do you prioritize your family and the people in your life that are your chosen family, your friends, or do you go after your career? Do you go after power? Do you go after autonomy? And what happens when you don't want to choose because women are always made to choose? Sabrina decides she doesn't like that. And so she splits herself in two so she can have both but the reality is is it's not a good balance and so that's why she has to pay in season four everything was huge metaphor on this show and sometimes they beat you over the head with it right and i kind of appreciate she finally gets consequences
1: i don't know if you knew this but originally sabrina was supposed to premiere in the end of season one of riverdale and they were supposed to have a genre switch but decided against it do you think kieran shipka would have been casted on that CW show. Probably not. Tell it you, probably like,
0: would have gone with somebody a little bit older, older because...
1: Yeah, which is like the weirdest thing too because on Netflix she's actually young enough to still play a teenager. Yeah, she, um, she's
0: only 21. Everyone else is a little bit, older, a little bit than older than
1: her. That's such a weird thing and only on Netflix... Do we see young enough actors playing teenagers and find it somewhat believable? I just want to say, just to cap on Sabrina real quick, which will probably lead us into um, the ants. Her relationship with the ants were more realistic than always in the sitcom. Here we actually got some real parenting in a sense, which I appreciated because I love Lucy Davis's and Helda. Granted, Caroline White's just as great. I know there's something endearing about Lucy Davis' portrayal of this character.
2: What are your thoughts on the ants? I love them. They're my favorites. And that's not a particularly deep analysis, but I do. I just love them. We all deserve an Auntie Hilda. She's the nurturing one. She's the, um, here are some cookies and go along your way. She also is constantly underestimated by people. And when she lashes out, it's impressive.
0: It's one of those characters where it's like, what happens when you have, when you're really just as powerful, if not more powerful than most people around you? you, but you would rather choose a different path. You know, you have this one amazing talent. You're not really passionate about it. You'd rather do something else. That's how I always viewed Aunt Hilda. It's just she loves being a witch, but she would rather do more human things like work at a coffee shop or, (laughs) you know, just fall in love with a mortal, fall in love with a mortal. Exactly. She wants to live a normal life. And is that so wrong? Well, Corinne and Zelda is very wrong. (laughs) Well, no,
1: And, And I feel like they're the perfect example of the lives that Sabrina has struggled gleaned with. Yeah. and Hilda is a representation of that in Sabrina's head like you can have it all. You can be a witch but still be a part of the mortal world. And then you have on the other scale you have Aunt Zelda whose arc is just amazing to being subserving to the Dark Lord to being the high priestess
2: of the Church of Hecate. I mean Hilda's definitely like you said. She's duty to self and duty to your loved ones whereas Zelda starts out as duty to their religion, to coven, to societal rules that they follow and then family. And then over time, I mean, you know how important the Spellman name is to her, but she only conceptualizes it in the beginning in terms of what it means within the role of the strictures of the Church of Night. As time goes on, you start to see these moments, like in particular during Feast of Feasts, where Sabrina's like, would you really have let me be the queen? Would you really have let me be eaten? And she's just like, no. She lets her go through with the ceremony to be picked, but she would not have let her Niece be eaten and right that she would have let herself be eaten. Aunt Zelda had a nice character
1: arc in terms of softening her stance. As you mentioned, her ideas of what it is to be devoted to the church in terms of how does her devotion, how to balance that with her devotion to her family or honoring her family. It was a nice softening. The same way where at the same time you sort of had Aunt Hilda rediscovering her self-worth by the end of the series where at times you would see them where one is higher than the other where there's an actual equilibrium by the time we leave these characters which I find refreshing. One's not overshadowing the other at any time. They're just sisters because when we first meet them at one point And Zelda kills Anne Hilda, buries her in the Lazarus pit, and then she resurrects and she goes, it's my god given right but the dark lord to kill my sister.
2: She says it to Ambrose. She's like, she pissed me off so I killed her. And she just like stomps into the house. I'm like, okay. But then there's
1: like these moments where she is sort of softening too. Even in those moments, she looks at one point to Anne Hilda like, you took too long resurrecting. What if one of these days you don't resurrect? I think with a Time we reach season part four, I cannot see Zelda ever doing that to Hilda ever again.
2: I can't either. And it's, I think it's very interesting because they continuously have like these like moments or sometimes full episodes where we really plumb the depths of the characters' individual fears and insecurities. And whenever you get those moments for Zelda, when you see what her fears are, her fears are that she's going to kill her sister and her sister's not going to come back or her sister's going to get hurt or that she's not a good enough mother to Sabrina. It's not about, you know, whether or not her family is exalted in the eyes of the coven or anything like that, which seem to be the fears that she tells everybody else that she cares about, but it's not actually what she, you know, is truly in her depths. It's fun to watch her story arc, I think, too. I mean, I really enjoyed watching what happened between her deciding to marry Faustus and then realizing that seeking power through a man is not the way that Zelda Spellman deserves power
1: we explore that in part three when the Dark Lords or Madam Satan's power was waning and they had to figure out okay who do we worship now and we go back to a rare moment in Zelda's life where she and Faustus are studying and she discovers Hecate mm-hmm. that before the Dark Lord there was Hecate someone more older and primordial it's her having to work through the conditioning of following this patriarchy essentially because her literally the patriarchy in her own mind to find the answer to our problem, which I thought was beautiful.
2: Yes, it's amazing. I love that so much. And when she does her first incantation, whatever you want to call it, to Hecate to bring back her sister, that kind of gets me. It gets me in the feels. She's saying like, we forgot you, which is basically we forgot ourselves. We forgot our own inherent power. We do not need to enslave ourselves to anyone, let alone a man. But if you remind us of our own, power and you that we get from the phases of the three parts of a woman's life. So basically our own powers through our own lives, we will never stop worshiping you, which is in sense worshiping themselves. It's beautiful. And I love the sense that this religion is not just exclusive to women.
1: Anyone can worship Hecate, where I felt like when they were worshiping the Dark Lord, there were certain boundaries that women could only portray like the Feast of Feasts or the parable that they were playing where a young woman had to play Lilith and the downfall. That's Blackwood's interpretation. Exactly. But even if you look at the council, who's in charge of the council? All men, all old men with these old patriarchal ideas.
2: Yes, and the creepy mm. anti-pope who is like leering at all the female young witches.
1: Which I like is a natural progression too. Mirroring the changes in a way that our society is slowly going to ourselves. I mean, this came out like right as the Too movement what's happening in terms of how we look at ourselves as a society how we value women in the workplace and all facets of society and reevaluating those things and i feel there's a nice little reflection even though it's a supernatural show based off a comic book that's roots go before that movement there's still strong feminist themes that were nicely portrayed. So we talked about the answer. We talk
2: about Cousin Ambrose. I love Ambrose. So yes, let's talk about Ambrose. I think he's probably the smartest character on the show. I wish we had more of him. He does get sidelined sometimes, but when he is in a scene, it's hard to not focus on him, I think. As much as this show is Sabrina-centric, I think he does do a fair share of, of heavy lifting in a lot of scenes. He's a very important character. I also <laughs> tried to figure out, like, how old Ambrose is because he's obviously like old but he's still like at one point a student at the academy at the same time Sabrina is so I'm like I'm lost because he never finished his education that's why because he got into the wrong crowd and tried I, to blow up the Vatican like he was
1: also teaching before that at one point so I was, was very it? lost yeah, um. <laughs> yeah no like the, the whole Blackwood season two thing debacle that whole plot point just threw me for a loop like I will say that's like the most disappointing arc about
2: Ambrose he got essentially into the men's rights crowd right but he knew at that point when he was asked to be in it he knew something shady was going on and he was going in as a double agent I can understand that the moment that I realized I mean again that I very intrigued by Ambrose but when Sabrina escapes her dark baptism and she runs back to the house and Ambrose who's under house arrest faces down the coven that has placed him under house arrest and defies all of them risking potential worse punishment to say that that there is a protection spell around this house and that any witch crosses it and you're toast and then you realize he was bluffing but he does all of that just to protect his cousin even though his cousin is doing something that goes against everything that they've been taught is just great i'm like this is the kind of conscientious rebel that i need in my life <laughs> And I can see, like, David's earlier criticism that he's there to either, for the
1: first season, which is part one and part two, to further Sabrina's development. And then in season two, which is part three and four, he was basically there to further Prudence's character development. Which, if we got another season, we would have seen maybe Ambrose branch out. It's a woman-centric show. I'm okay that he just kind of helps. Little- I am too. I can play the Dark Lord's advocate, if you will, and sort of Understand that criticism. And it's because he is such a fun character and you do want him to sort of stand on his own two feet in a sense. You
2: get some of those moments, you know, where he starts to date Luke and kind of venturing out that way because those scenes were all him. Sabrina's not in them. But in terms of a really deep and meaningful individual story arc, he doesn't get very prolonged ones, no. These are also Netflix seasons, they're short. We had a lot of content, I think, to mine with these characters that just never happened.
0: Are there any other main characters you wanted to touch on? Well, I think we should talk about
2: Madam Satan.
1: You know what it is about that character? Laura and I, I believe we're indoctrinated into All My Children and we love a bitchy villain. She's also not always a villain, which is what it's great. She's complicated. Especially in Part 2, where we learn her backstory and the ultimate betrayal Mm -hmm. from Lucifer. Because we, we see, of course, black words and basically the Church of Night's interpretation of her story. And she's like, no, that's not how it went down. And she does become a sympathetic figure.
2: Yeah, this is a woman who, very from literally the beginning of civilization, has had no other option except to put her faith into men and constantly get let down. And she just wants to have her own power. Then, because she keeps getting let down, her soul becomes more and more So she's complicated. So you do feel kind of bad for her, but then she does horrible things and you're like grinding up her baby. There's a teenage
0: boy and slit his throat. uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Killing an innocent teacher. (laughs) But she brought her back. But she brought back. Brought back Miss Wardwell. Although that was also probably not the best idea.
1: (laughs) But it was fun. But she
0: didn't bring her back for like, she thought she did something wrong by killing her. You know what I mean? She brought her back as like a favor to Sabrina.
2: Right. But the fact that she felt felt like she could do that. She's complicated and she's vindictive.
0: She's a survivor. I think she's a fun character, but I just got a little tired of her. I don't know. I got a little tired of the shtick.
2: The shtick I got tired of with her was every time Sabrina, before she realized that like, you know, she was Lilith, was just like, well, I'm going to go check with Miss Wardwell because she (laughs) knows about these things. I'm like, you could ask Ambrose, you could ask your aunties, you could literally anybody at the Academy and you're going to go ask this random person that you just found out about. That's real dumb. It's one of those things where she was providing advice. And
1: I feel like it's very like a teenage thing to do. You'll seek out essentially the person that will give you the advice that you wanted to hear because, you know, Madam Satan as Miss Blackwood was leading her down a certain path and she will manipulate the answer that Sabrina wanted to hear to further the Dark Lord's plan. It makes sense in terms of why Sabrina would want to go to that particular person by the same time. I can also stand the thing like, yeah, she should have gone to Ambrose, but what would Ambrose or Ansel, or or Hilda say? No. And you know Sabrina is all about fitting the situation
2: to her own needs. She got free reign of magic as soon as she can do magic. But to be fair, a lot of times with the whole, witches, just in general, like, are given this thought you can do whatever you want. There's a little bit of that in their culture, which she grew up with. I do know Madame Satan can be a little much, and sometimes when she pops back up, you're like, ugh, god okay things are about to get stupid but at the same time it she helps move the plot along
0: she did i think what i was struggling with and, and this is just the show overall makes a lot of tonal shifts in the episodes that kind of loses me for a minute like one moment is trying to be really quirky and funny and then the next thing is very dark and very serious almost shakespearean you know <laughs> and i'm just kind of like you're kind of all over the place tonally i like you're still telling your story but it just well, the inconsistent tones were a little distracting for me and, know, and that and she played a big part in that
1: yeah but yeah. it sort of falls in the same trap of riverdale it was just a fair comparison to make it's the same showrunner essentially mm-hmm. or a producer he does both shows know. which by i will say though is not as inconsistent as riverdale i feel like they were a little bit more refined too they were kind of mimicking sort of like the um tonal structure of buffy where it was sort of scary but kind of mocking at the same time but they're kind of make it their own which sometimes it works sometimes it didn't. But I don't think it took away from the show. I mean, it's still watchable.
0: Yeah, I agree. It is watchable. It's just an observation that I made that unintentionally made me like Lilith less. I think Michelle Gomez, Michelle Gomez does a freaking awesome oh, job. <laughs> Michelle yeah.
1: Gomez is chess kiss. I mean, she's played Missy on Doctor Who. Even that one episode of Gotham was amazing <laughs> as the <a> club <laughs> owner. Whether you like her story arc or not, she just fun to watch on screen.
0: So another main character maybe that you wanted to touch on? I think we definitely need to talk about Blackwood. He's really the villain of the show. He's everyone's villain. This is a
1: man that does not have an original freaking idea of his own. He is working on the idea of much more talented people and claiming it as
2: as his own. Yeah. He's a wannabe Hitler, which is disturbing.
0: He almost becomes kind of cartoonish towards the end of the series with his head being (laughs) severed off and... He's just a lot more theatrical than he was before. In the beginning, he was very just like self-contained a little better. It was very dark. He was very menacing. And then later on, he became, I guess, silly for lack of a better term. He got a little silly because he kind of lost I, his mind.
2: <laughs> right. I would say he's become unhinged. I think we're supposed to at that point realize that he's a real puppet in that instance, that he thinks he's in control but it's ridiculous. He's not. He doesn't control the Eldritch terrors. He's released them, but they're not going to play to whatever he wants. And it seems like at that point, all he really wants is just to destroy the Spellmans. I'm like, dude, you've got to get a better hobby. That's not going to be satisfying. And obviously he wants, you know, like male supremacy or something like that. I don't entirely know what that gets him. I think he thinks that like he will take the void into him and then be able to control it. But I'm like, if the literal anti Antichrist cannot control just a piece of it you really think that you can control the whole void
0: that's that ego
2: what what about what has happened over the last year because this whole show takes place over the course of a
0: year which is insane
2: by the time
1: towards the end if you go by the lore that created by H.P. Lovecraft about the Eldritch Harris if you stare into or come face to face which hypothetically he did when he was in that bubble you go insane for him losing his power in that fall from quote unquote grace, he does this into madness. Yeah, did they give him a little bit of the cartoony thing? Sure, because he's not really a threat at this point. He's more of a nuisance. The real threat by the end of the series were those terrors, where they're unstoppable and uncomprehensible.
2: Right, and those are like, they're not characters. They're entities. They're representations of things, um, which is supposed to be scarier. And they are. I mean, the Endless, as funny as it was. That was kind of disturbing. I'm not going to lie. No, it was extremely disturbing. All the understudies sleep underneath their beds. Like Elspeth being under her bed was just funny, but also kind of startling. There's a lot with those Eldritch terrors that I think really helped dwarf where Blackwood has gotten to at that point. Right. Which I think is good. I like seeing him brought down low. His end makes sense.
1: All we needed was... Was the way we're sisters to help carry off the parts.
0: So what other characters should we talk about? Should we go to the supporting characters or?
2: The Fright Club is it's like the Scooby gang. We're there to help solve things. We're the backup team. And even though they have some good stories and great representation in it, it's like a lot of times when it's just them, I'm like, I don't care. A battle of the bands. I don't care. They were going down the Riverdale
1: path well, I didn't quite care for. Part three, they're like a performance almost every freaking episode.
2: Like, why is it the musicals? season.
0: I think the musical numbers were really weird. A really weird decision that, man, I feel like another network would have been like, let's not do that, Roberto. Let's stay more focused. And more Netflix is like, yeah, man, do whatever you want. We'll give you a bunch of money and make it happen. Right. <laughs> I Just weird.
2: What was the point of naming yourself the Fright Club? What was the point of, like, becoming a band and then, like, stop being a band and then start being a band again? <laughs> I didn't care for that one bit. Oh, you can 100 download from Apple music the songs that they sang oh yeah singing it oh and it's my. on my Sabrina playlist <laughs>
1: I know and I'm gonna get from <laughs> you and I'm like teenage dirtbag uh. I didn't think about that song for a long
2: time until that right. show Two on the nose too this isn't glee stop it <laughs> my Sharona probably should not be sung by a bunch of teenagers so oh. just gonna leave that out there
1: they also sing um hey Mickey during the cheerleading I don't understand and this happens in Riverdale too. They sing during pep rallies. Or well, my favorite one on Riverdale is during a prison, like, football scrimmage. Because apparently you don't know the highs and lows of life until you played high school football. Total Eclipse of the Heart, 16 going on 17. I'm like, no, don't romanticize a freaking
2: song about a Nazi. That was also a weird choice. When Sabrina's talking about, like, I'm going to choose these words that have been in my heads for as long as I remember it. I'm like, that's what's been in your head?
1: Time Warp, was just. So a stereotypical too. For them to play at the, like, the Battle of the Bands of
2: Hell he? in the mines, okay? That's like doing shave and a haircut without doing two bits. I'm like, oh, this is gonna grate on me. They didn't even do the chorus. It just jumped jump to the left. I'm gonna lose it. There was no point to that episode other than it being the Returned. But, like, you could have cut all of that out and it still would have been a good episode. I
1: feel like the Returned would have been a much stronger thing without the Battle of the Bands.
2: Yeah, I think it should have been more about, like, Edward Spellman, Dorcas, that would have been better. What Sabrina and the Fright Club should have done
1: was brought peace to those ghosts instead of winning a battle of the bands.
2: The way that we're going to defeat this ghost band is to get into the battle ourselves. And sing sweet child of mine. At least it wasn't Journey. Moving on past the Fright
0: Club. Yeah.
1: Nicholas uh. Scratch. Nicholas Scratch is an interesting character where I kind of wish. Uh, no, we, wouldn't, we probably wouldn't get more character development in season 5 because of how his story
2: ended. Do you think he was the right choice for Serena? Yes. The reason that I think that, at least of all the options, and I think there's a moment where the angels infiltrate the desecrated church. You know, Sabrina's the only one who can go in because other than like Harvey, because she's been baptized and the church has been reconsecrated. And Harvey says like, aren't you going to stop her? And he's like, you know, why would you think I would tell her what to do at all? That's why I think he's the best one for her. He lets her be her. He gets frustrated with her and rightfully so in a lot of places and he's not perfect. I don't love how in the show a lot of times when characters suffer real trauma, they look for easy outs to fix it. Nick is acting out because he had the Dark Lord in him. Okay, I accept that Nick is acting out because he had the Dark Lord in him that was probably torturous and he would come back really messed up. Oh, well, it's because the Dark Lord actually left a piece of him behind. So if we take that out, that'll fix him. No therapy. The word (laughs) you're looking for is therapy. That was a little bit frustrating, but I like that that Nick is comfortable with Sabrina being who she is when she's striving to be queen of hell that bothers him but i think it's because he realizes that's not not who he fell in love with that's not who she really is and also he's pretty messed up at that point but i think you know generally speaking he's cool with taking a supporting role to her story without having to try to change her
1: i agree with you that Nick is always supportive of Sabrina he may not always agree with her decisions but you're right he He does support her unconditionally never tries to change her never tries to talk her out of anything she really has set her mind to even though he doesn't always agree but there's always this conditional loving and understanding
2: and when he needs to take a break from her he takes a break from her which I think is healthy. I don't think their ending is healthy. And yeah, we'll talk we'll, about that.
0: Sure. Because- and before we do, so are there any high points of the series that we haven't got in touch with? Let we me do. go with my one. I only have one. And that is the end of Missionaries. I think that scene yes. in the church is phenomenal. Yes. She just looks great. The way the arrows are in her, the outfit, the eyes glazed over her voice, the way that, what they did with her voice and just her acting in general. That is perfect.
1: That moment of her and all
2: of her glory. I, I nearly raptured. I mean, I mean, that is one of the best moments I think and like I, I think I mentioned already like I love when they become the church of hecate that gives me chills it's beautiful there is something very very satisfying of Lucifer being like to Blackwood you are gonna worship my daughter I like the weird time travel part the moment where she gets the you know unholy regalia and she like update I have more power now <laughs> it's very very superheroy and it's kind of silly but at at the same time. I kind of think it's pretty awesome.
1: I love that moment as well where she's just like, hey Sabrina I have a plan. You rule how I get to live up there. It was just so masterfully done and you can tell like there's distinctive tells when she's playing which character besides the headbands. Like she made a point where she made sure that each character stood on their own two feet. That they were vastly different.
2: And that's hard. I
1: even just like when they're tearing down the pagans. I just remember that scene where Sabrina's holding out her hands, just causing mayhem at at the circus. I loved it. And of course, what stands out to me is where Serena Morningstar gets trapped in the sitcom world with the Endless, with the Talking Salem, where they brought back the sitcom version of Anne Hilden and Zelda is probably my favorite callback to the original series. I lived for that episode. I thought it was genius.
2: I thought it was really good, too. However, I was really sad that, like, Sabrina Morningstar died after that. That was a really I, hard scene to watch. But again, so well done. Like, you felt that character death and you felt Sabrina Spellman's loss. And I love when they're basically talking about sweeps. Like, we always add something in and it just doesn't ever change anything. Like, you go do this, you do this, you go and you throw somebody into a volcano or whatever it was. They make a reference <laughs> to the Spellman twin thing. It,
1: Yes. And then the talking cat, which I wish they brought back the original voice of Salem. A little disappointing, but I can understand in terms of budget why they would probably have done that.
0: And I knew we'd get to this point. I am so disappointed that Salem doesn't talk. And I know they try to pass it off as like, oh, the meows are Salem talking and only Sabrina and other witches, I suppose, could understand mm-hmm. what he's saying in that moment, but not good enough for me. I need a voice. I wanted a voice and I'm I feel really let down that I didn't get that. And not only that, I mean, Salem barely does anything in the entire show. So that's also a disappointing factor as well.
1: Here's why. Comes to find out, Karen is deadly allergic to cats. So that's why they limit the use of Salem. She did not know this going into this project. So one day they were filming with the cat and then she's realizing there's something wrong happening. Like, oh, I need to go to go see a medical professional because I'm having trouble.
0: Let's be honest. They could have (laughs) worked CGI it. CGI CGI camera tricks
2: honestly some of Salem's best work right. So, <laughs> is really I enjoy the harrowing episode where comes and like helps her comfort her so she doesn't go insane in the witch's cell he does show up at all of the right moments I'm kind of glad he didn't talk because I think to me that would have just been too much like we're throwing it back to the
0: sitcom
1: for Salem not to talk though it sort of set the expectation it's not going to be like the sitcom
0: of all things, that's the thing where it's like, we're not your Sabrina the Teenage.
1: That and the ants. And I think they made clear choices to be like, no, this is going to be its own project.
0: It's a little thing. It's a very little thing to give us a talking cat.
2: You have to give him a personality. That's extra work. I think it would have just given me shades of Hocus Pocus. And I'm not looking for that in this show. Right.
0: You're saying Hocus Pocus. I mean, the show is not shy about having these little Easter eggs of references to other horror classics. They did right. Evil Dead with... With the trees they even had harvey wearing a midriff like the character from nightmare on elm street you're already making all these references even sabrina's outfit is similar to rosemary's baby they pay all these homages whether or not mm-hmm. it matters to the story so if they have a talking cat like similar to hocus pocus i think that would have been a positive thing and not so they much a negative thing
2: had a cat like at least they <laughs> <had Salem. laughs> right
0: that's true they could have not had salem period and that would have been disappointing laura Is there one episode you would show someone to get them interested in Sabrina that's not the pilot or does it have to be the pilot?
2: I like the episode with the dark baptism. So episode two, I think that's the one I would show people because, you know, you really get the lead up of she's worried about this. Then you get the, you know, rejection of this and you get that moment where she's like, which I think that's a high point. You know, she was like, I'm Sabrina Spellman. I'm not signing my name away Mm -hmm. is tingly too. So I would show that to somebody. I think that would be a good one. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just, you know, like when I go back and rewatch this. And this is not the first time that I've rewatched this show. When I watch it, I go, oh, I just want to get to episode two. I don't really care that much about what happens in episode one. I feel like the show really kicks off strongly with what happens in episode two. But I understand in sort of setting up the framework of the show, the pilot is a good place to start.
0: <sighs> so before we move on from this portion of the podcast, I know we already kind of running a little long here, but I feel weird if we move on without talking about the series' finale just yeah. for a moment, because mm-hmm. it's almost universally known as not liked. And I know we kind of beat around the bush of it earlier in the mm-hmm. discussion. But if there's anything you wanted to touch on, Laura, about the series finale, I say now the time is to do it.
2: I never quite understand what the deal is of, well, we don't know how to end this. So we're just going to kill off the character. I almost find that to be lazy writing and there's, in a lot of instances, sometimes it's the right choice, but I think that's the choice that's often made when you don't know how to end things. And what I really am bothered by is Nick, because I do not understand why you would ever, especially in a show that purports to be for teens, put in anything that has any kind of suicidal ideation in it.
1: You're right. I can understand Sabrina's sacrifice because she caused this mess in a way which was set up earlier in part four is she is paying the debt, the cosmic debt, she's racked up. In a way, it was a sort of a noble sacrifice because, unfortunately, by the intentions of her aunt and Ambrose and Nick pulling her back into Sabrina Morningstar's body, she got a little bit of the void in her, and now she can't control it. But to add Nick there was just a disappointment. Obviously, there was a plan to bring back Sabrina, because we learned in at the end of Season 4 that Marie is actually the voodoo god of the underworld. And she owes a boon to Anne Zelda because yeah. as was tweeted out by the creator of the show part five would have been the fabled witch wars which would have introduced versions of the Riverdale
2: cast as the rival witch coven you know I know we all kind of realized like the show was canceled there was an intention for the story to continue and it would have been totally different and I even would have been okay with the ending this way and then us never seeing the rest of it if Nick had shown up there and was like yeah I'm here but I'm here to get you out totally different tone I agree with Ooh, that sentiment. I like that then it would kind of be in a way a repaint of the favor when Sabrina went to hell exactly to get him back it'd be yeah. a really nice mirroring I think there's honestly nothing uplifting about that last episode and yeah I was sad after you're sad I feel like I'm slapped in the face with that heaven scene like oh you're sad little girl here's some suicidal ideation there was definitely more that the show could have done and I was really hoping to see it I do feel cheated I do too maybe In 10
1: years, we'll get a reboot because God forbid uh we let things sit.
0: Let's say someone doesn't want to commit to the entire series. Do you have a recommended viewing order to help the experience? Or do you just like the start to finish?
2: I like the start to finish. I mean, I think it's satisfying if you end with, we've left the Church of Night, we've found Hecate, we've empowering women now instead of subjugating everyone to the Dark Lord.
0: When does that happen again? Part three is where that happens.
2: I think that's where what I would probably tell people, like if you want to find out what happens to them, you can keep watching and watch season four and there is some good stuff or part four, you can watch it. But I think if you want to kind of see the start and end of the Church of Night, you could just watch part one through part three. Sometimes things are more satisfying when they're not tied up in neat little bows because the bows that they tie it up in are stupid. So in other words, stop at season three and find some good fan fiction.
0: Laura, did you ever read the comic?
2: I didn't. It's something that I have been interested in doing. I also have never read any Lovecraft, which is another thing I want to do. Um, it's been on my list, both of these.
0: For the listener's sake, like we mentioned earlier, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is based off a comic and it was written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. The art is by Robert Hack and it is inspired by the appearances of Roberto Aguirre Sacasa's other Archie series, Afterlife with Archie, just so people understand where it all came from. So, Laura, do you want a continuation series?
2: I would like more. (laughs) (laughs) Right. i just like to see more with these characters, with all of these characters and so much with the lore of the Mythology of it that I would have liked to have found out more about. I would like some of those plot holes filled, but I don't want to completely just act like things didn't happen. Fair enough. And
1: I would be okay with either a movie or maybe like a mini-series. Not maybe say a continuation series where it goes on and on. Like, I think you're right, Laura. I just need proper closure.
0: So, Laura, briefly discuss who would enjoy The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina.
2: Well, I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, this being kind of, like Romeo said, like a gen show. For what we've got this has a lot of more common themes and I think if you're somebody who you know likes seeing strong female characters or somebody who loved Buffy all of the women that came after her, I think you would like this show even the new Charmed not in terms of like the horror but in terms of like the strong female story arcs the uplifting of women kind of in that Me Too genre. If you liked that you should be watching this.
0: Well speaking of such things do you have any suggestions for similar shows or franchises that people might also enjoy?
2: Buffy, The New Charmed, probably even The Old Charmed, but I think The New Charmed is a lot more on par with this. I would say other shows like Supernatural, things that have a strong mythology to it. So we have our own suggestions. Oh. One of them is
1: The Craft, the original, not the remake.
0: It's built up quite a cult following over the years. It's about four outcast teenage girls at a Los Angeles Paradoxical High School who pursue witchcraft for their own gain and subsequently experience negative repercussions. I think people who like this show, especially the younger generation, Generation who may not have circled back to those '90s mm-hmm. movies that we're all familiar with, but people from ages like 15 to maybe even 25 may not be familiar with. Yeah, The Craft would be definitely one that they want to f- check out and maybe even enjoy.
1: One of my favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. And
0: if you want something light, give Sabrina the Teenage Witch a shot. <laughs> you know, if you if, a talking cat. Watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <laughs> if you
2: desperately miss the talking cat, like David, <laughs> The Magicians a show that ran
1: on. Sci-fi for five years, which was show run by Sarah Gamble, from a showrunner from Supernatural, that deals with a sort of like a university for witches and warlocks and them learning about messed up consequences to their actions. What about American Horror Story Coven? Oh, yes. So you have a throw in Apocalypse 2 because it, it is a continuation yeah. of that storyline. That's a good one. because It's about young women coming into their power. There is a
2: lot of gore for gore's sake. But I like the story. There is a lot about, like Romeo said, you know, females coming into their power, power struggles, power dynamics, which is a lot about what is happening in Sabrina.
1: I mean, it is campy. And then if you go into Apocalypse, you get an anti Christ.
0: We did it. We talked about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I knew we could. I knew we could. I knew we'd get there. Praise Satan.
1: (laughs) I believe it's now Praise Hecate. Praise whoever we're worshiping now.
0: We're just a bunch of sheep after all, right? Exactly.
1: (laughs) We'll go whoever gives us power to have (laughs) eternal life and to
0: vanquish (laughs) our enemies. Well, Laura, once again, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: It was, yes. listeners, stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. This was a very fun discussion in the sense that I think I brought a very different viewpoint to the discussion. And Laura had was on the opposite end of it, which is again totally fine. I have no ill will towards any of the opinions expressed in this episode. (laughs) And I think that was vice versa. But Romeo, it was interesting because in this discussion, you were on one side, but then you started to see the other side of the points as well. And I thought you brought an actual really great balance to the both of us like you met halfway with both of us which I thought was really interesting listening to the episode again again there wasn't some sort of heated arguments you can tell by the tone in our voices that definitely is not where the discussion went but I think it's safe to say that when talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina the opinions ones have on it are very passionate I think is the right word I'm looking for so Romeo you have any extra thoughts on that it can
1: be really polarizing as Laura and I think you alluded to like they're the way the series ended. You're just like, okay, that's the message. To be fair, we're supposed to come back. It's not for everyone. I will say, like, yeah, the first season, probably the strongest.
0: So with mentioning that we talked about ways of how to bring the show back, ultimately, what we've come to learn recently is Uh that Sabrina is coming back, but to Riverdale and Romeo, what are your thoughts on this?
1: It's just dumb. (laughs) 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 It should have happened on Sabrina. And let's be honest here. Riverdale has entered the point where they need to shift gears because I think the original idea for Riverdale was they were supposed to have like weird genre switches each season because back in season one they were supposed to introduce Sabrina and bring a horror element for that season but they opted against it and they've kind of exhausted the film noir and the mobster storylines and motif from what I've read Cheryl Blossom decided to cast a spell and the way it's being teased is Sabrina is gonna come into Cheryl's life when Cheryl needs a witch the most. So we'll see an older version of Sabrina. Not the teenage witch, but an older version.
0: Yeah, and we'll see how fans respond to that when that eventually is released. So, not much to fact check. We were pretty clean in this episode, but there was one thing we weren't 100% sure about. Romeo did a lot of speculating on this, and that was why Salem didn't talk in the show. He did mention that Kieran and Shipka seemingly developed an allergic reaction to cats, so she was fine being in the room with them, but just couldn't pet him or hold him for long periods of time. Through an interview I found on IndieWire about the show, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa did say that it was already a creative decision not to have Salem talk. He felt like having Salem talk meant that there was some obligation that he should be a comic relief type of character. And then if you have one familiar talk, then you can have all the familiars talk. So it was just let's simplify it. Let's hang on to making sure this stays to the horror elements and just make sure that Salem doesn't talk. All right, so let's move on now to where to reach us. If you guys want to reach out to the show, one way to do it is at BingeEssentials at gmail.com. It's a great way to ask us any questions or have any comments of recent episodes or previous episodes. Great way to reach the show, but you can also reach us on Facebook. Just search Binge Essentials and like the page. You will be aware of what's going on with the show. Same with Instagram at Binge Essentials. You can find me on Instagram at DavidRochaBinge. You can find Romeo at armor 2 You can find me on Twitter at David. Roacher radio and you can find Romeo at Armora One. So this concludes our Halloween spooky season set of episodes that we've been doing for the month of October and a little bit of September. We want to thank you guys for being on this journey with us and we do have some things to talk about here. So there is going to be a short term break before our next episode. We will be doing a Christmas holiday themed episode this year again like we did with Home Alone last year with Annie. This year has been decided that we're going to be doing the Santa Claus films. And That's with Tim Allen, in case you guys are wondering what I mean by that. There's three films. I very much look forward to watching all three because it takes some interesting turns in the sequels. So yeah, I wanted to do something fun and silly like Home Alone was because Home Alone is still one of my favorite episodes because those sequels, my goodness. One thing is for sure, our next episode is going to be the Santa Claus. We don't know when the release date is going to be for that. That will be announced at a later time, whether through a short trailer release or seeing the announcements on our social media pages. The biggest reason for this little break is because starting in January, I'm going to be a father and that is going to take up a lot of my time. And as someone who does the watching, the recording and the editing, I mean, my time is not limitless. And so it's going to be very difficult in these final two months before the baby baby is born for me to do the watching that I need and do the editing that I need and the recordings. All It's a lot of work, guys. <laughs> and, and I got to spend some of that time preparing for my child. That's just how it's going to be. It's an exciting time for me. I'm so happy and very much looking forward to being a father. And I can't wait to show her the things that I enjoyed watching as a kid to her and for her to say, Daddy, that's not very good. I don't know what you saw in this. <laughs> uh-huh. Put this on instead like, that's going to be fatherhood. But it's something that I need to, uh, I just need to put my focus on my personal life for a little bit. And in that time, me and Romeo will be discussing ways on how to keep the show going. We're not sure if we would change the format entirely or if we would record episodes without me present. We haven't really nailed anything down yet, but we have these next two months to talk about it and to figure it all out. And once we do, we're going to be sure to let you guys know it sucks because every time we take a little break, we. He built up so much momentum from those set of episodes and we take this little break and then we have to rebuild our momentum again. And so that's what's going to be happening again. It sucks to do it. But hey, when you're a podcast who's just two guys and the work that goes into putting these episodes together, the results are what they are. And we're satisfied with the results, but we know that they could be more if we were just not so busy. And then that's just on my side of things. Romeo, you have a lot going on over the next couple months as well. So it's the perfect time for us to take a little break and to reevaluate how we're going to move forward with the show. But one thing is for sure, Binge Essentials will return. We're not retiring the show. That's the last thing we want to do. And that's the thing we will not do because we have so much fun doing it. And we know listeners enjoy the show and and all our guests really love coming back to the show. So we want to continue doing this creative outlet for you guys. Yeah, so again, our next episode, The Santa Claus, follow us on our social media pages to learn when that's going to be released. We don't have a guest lined up for it yet. But again, once we figure that out, we will... Make that announcement. So, with all that being said, want to thank you guys for listening. Catch you guys in the near future.